Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. And the winner is to be determined. Since 1927, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has made its pick for Best Picture of the Year at the Academy Awards, better known as the Oscars. There have been nearly 100 films bestowed with the honor. Now, the great pop culture debate wants to decide the Best Picture winner of all time, and you had a say. I'm your host, Eric Resniak, because Billy Crystal wasn't going to say yes to this chicken shit gig. Joining me is my panel of self-appointed experts. Please welcome back Carissa Kloss. We like her. We really like her. I wanted more than anything to have your respect. The first time I didn't feel it, but this time I feel it. And I can't deny the fact that you like me. Very good. (laughs) Standing ovation. Uh, Next, we invited Kevin Dillon to be a member of the panel, but he declined and instead sent Sasheen Littlefeather of the Apache tribe in his place. Hello, Sasheen. Hello. I am all for category fraud and allowing a man to win Best Actor, even though he is a supporting performance. And I accept this Oscar on his behalf. Thank you. And finally, we are joined by our podcast producer, Mike Rappin, who has threatened to dress up as Snow White and get Rob Lowe on the mic to sing Proud Mary. Where is my wig? I plan on ruining this Oscars tonight. Well, I better see some deep shoulder action, Mike, or else I'm not having it. All right. So before we dive into the debate, let's go over how this works. We made a list of every Best Picture winner from 1927's Wings to 2019's Parasite. We had more than 160 people take the survey to pick their favorites, and the top 32 vote-getters were ranked by popularity, added to a bracket, and our panelists made their decisions. Now we argue about it and insult each other, all for your amusement. Want to follow along at home? You can find all of the brackets, including the one for this episode, at greatpopculturedebate.com. Make a copy for yourself, fill it out, and then compare it to our panelists' picks. Think we're way off base? Drop a comment on this episode on the website or drag us like the worst-dressed celebrities on the red carpet uh, via social media. First, let's go over the unanimous victors in round one. One seed Silence of the Lambs enjoyed devouring eight seed Kramer versus Kramer with fava beans and a nice candy. <laughs> one seed... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, One seed, Parasite, evaporated eight seed, The Shape of Water. 
Four seed, all about Eve, plucked five seed Birdman, or the unexpected virtue of ignorance. Two seed Moonlight, fully eclipsed seven seed Spotlight. One seed Schindler's List sent eight seed on the waterfront back to the docks. And three seed Titanic gave six seed Gladiator the big thumbs down. And now we're going to move on to the debates. 75% of us thought that one seed Casablanca was on a hill of beans of its own over eight seed Annie Hall. But Carissa disagreed. Carissa, why? Okay, so dig, if you will, a picture <laughs> of young Diane Keaton in oversized khakis, a vest, <laughs> a wide polka dot tie, a hat, a giant tote bag with stuff just falling out of it saying, la-di-da, la-di-da. Like, that's why. The, I, I fully understand that Annie Hall is a controversial pick and problematic, and I am totally fine with it not advancing. But Annie Hall is Diane Keaton. Annie Hall is not the problematic man who made this film. Um, Diane Keaton is the titular character, and she is a revelation in this film. She is adorable and awkward and iconic. Like her dressing like that for the film um, was like Catherine Hepburn wearing pants. Like it, it was a whole thing. And I, I just don't think that um, her performance here should be completely overshadowed by you know the problematic stuff about the film i well wow so that first of all i'm so glad we're getting this out right now because it's awesome to start this with this discussion one of the things that we as a panel were discussing a lot in the work up to this episode was that some of the older films on this list now when viewed through the lens of 2020 are really difficult they're very challenging for a variety of ways in the case of annie hall there's obviously an enormous pall hanging over anything touched by Woody Allen. In others, you're going, we're going to get into very serious racial politics, gender politics, etc. But this is one of the things that we will be repeatedly, I think, addressing over the course of this episode is, are we viewing the works independently as works, or do we consider them with everything? And there's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all approach to that. But I, I think for my personal reasons, Carissa, I'm so glad that you made that case for Annie Hall. You are correct. Not only was Diane Keaton uh, the, the fashion, but her performance, I really think, did have a tremendous impact on women actors for the next, I mean, forever after her. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And I think what's really great is that the kind of love interest that she plays is really real. Like she's really flawed and she's awkward and she's just, and that's what makes her so beautiful and, you know, such, such a wonderful um, counterpart. Right. Uh, So I think it, in a lot of ways, like it gave us a different kind of leading lady um, and the way that she plays it is just, it, it's just so wonderful. And I feel like I didn't see it until I was in college. So um, I don't know what it would have been like to see it at the time and to be like a younger woman and to see this kind of role model presented um, or, or like just an alternative option for womanhood, you know, like she she's just she's great. Yeah. Uh, well, Kevin, I want to turn to you to talk about Casablanca. Yeah, and I will say, I, I think that Annie Hall is a good movie. Before I go into that, I think it's very good. It is one of the few comedies to win Best Picture. So that's really nice to see. Um, and it beats Star Wars, which is kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> that I mean, is kind of crazy. If you think about it, like as, there's always the sci-fi bias that the Oscars have, but um, it beat like one of the biggest, the biggest film of all time at that moment. So 
which is pretty incredible. Um, with that said, Casablanca is still better. Um, it, is, um, it is the movie we all quote. Like, there isn't a person, they may not even be, they may not even, people may not even know they're quoting Casablanca, but they're quoting it. And I think that impact of the film is so monumental. There are a million, there are a lot of movies like Casablanca. I think I was either saying this to some other folks, but but for some reason, this movie stood out. And and it it's actually kind of shocking that it won Best Picture in a way, because it's one of those movies that everyone talks about. It is a classic. Um, you know, it is Bogart and uh, Ingrid Bergman are just incredible in it. And it shows that like beautifully flawed relationship. Um, it, it's kind of funny. Um, and I think it's very funny. It's, yeah, I think it's a it's, hilarious movie. It's a really funny movie. I think that's one of the things that makes me also like it more like on a rewatch, which it's one of the movies I absolutely rewatched because it had been a really long time since I had seen it. And I was like, this is pretty funny. Um, and even the way that the walk-off happens and whatnot, and it's just Bogart at his best. Like he's so charming. He's so effortless. And, and Bergman is, is that, is that bitch? I hate to say it. She's so, (laughs) she's so good in this. And it's, she's not, she's in it a lot less than I remembered, to be honest. Like she's almost a supporting performance, um, but like, she just is so captivating and it's just a really, it's a really beautiful movie. Um, okay. it, it's iconic. So, uh, with that said, Chris, are you going to stay with Annie Hall? I am. And Mike, are you going to stick with Casablanca? Oh yeah. I'm also going to stick with Casablanca. So we'll advance that to round two, but uh, Chris, uh, excellent job explaining why Annie Hall really needs to stand on its own as a film Agreed. and not be colored by, yeah everything else surrounding it. So thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, moving on, 75% of us were dying over 4-seed The Departed, while I was the sole person oh. rocked by 5-seed Amadeus. I will explain why I thought Mozart was doing the most, while Mike will commune with The Departed. So I'm going to get this out right now. When I was looking at this list, and everybody comes at it differently, there were kind of a, a three-legged stool approach that I was taking to my picks. One, I was looking at films that show off craft, the actual craft of filmmaking, films that were ambitious and were trying to do something that I thought was really interesting and really big. And then third films that had something to say about the human experience. And um, Almadez to me hits all three of these. And I think I'm the only, well, I'm definitely the only person who has it going far in my bracket because everybody else has the departed here. But I really do think it is a very strong film. I had not seen it until I was doing my homework for this. I think the 80s Best Pictures winners, by and large, really get dismissed out of hand, which I find fascinating. Sure. They're bad. They're not bad. (laughs) Here's what I will say. When you watch them now, 40 years later, almost, um, they are definitely of their time. Um, It's kind of like when I'm watching this, I'm like, this is the Andrew Lloyd Webber approach to biopic, right? It is grandiose there's like literally no subtlety there uh there's these amazing opera set pieces which i actually think are to the film's credit the the opera scenes are amazing in this film like i was completely blown away by what was happening on my screen and i wanted to go like the don giovanni scene is incredible um and i just think it's really well acted i like the costuming the sets are gorgeous and when i'm looking at a 
historical biopic. I don't know how you do better for Mozart than you do with this film. I genuinely don't. I think it is really pretty peerless in that. So with that said, I understand it's not going to succeed. I'm comfortable with it. I need to say my piece. Mike, I'm going to turn to you. Yeah. The the Departed is for me like a movie where Scorsese is at his best. Like he's doing crime. He's doing twists. He's doing police work. He's doing like the New York, New Jersey thing that I think has made a lot of his movies really great. I mean, it's it's got a noir feel. It's Leo DiCaprio, I think, in his best work in a lot of ways like i think it's a surprise i think a lot of people were surprised that he wasn't nominated or he didn't win you know best actor for this movie because he plays an insane person who is just trying to do the right thing and that he's trying to get revenge which is essentially how scorsese equates like doing the right thing is that someone gets their revenge um but i i the thing about this movie is it's got an all-star cast and it is so well acted from beginning to end. I think every single performance in this is so in your face, exaggerated, but it's also like a perfect depiction of what everyone thinks about when they think of a crime movie. Um, I, 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 I love it from beginning to end. I will can't believe that you have like Mark Wahlberg next to Leo next to Alec Baldwin and who else is all in this movie? I mean, it, it's it's all over the place with just yeah, Matt Damon, Mark Wahlberg are in the same movie, which I thought could never happen. I think that was the thing that surprised me the most. <laughs> They're um, not because, the same person? Because, yeah, because for the longest time, I was just like, they'll never be in the same movie because they look alike and they didn't even play brothers or anything. Um, I mean, Martin Sheen is fantastic. We've got uh, Jack Nicholson, who is this mob boss, which I would have never pictured him as a mob boss. Like, I picture him as a bad guy, but not as a mob boss. And I, I, again, it, it all works because every single actor is, to me, in this movie, like, at their best, playing these exaggerated, like, New York, New Jersey type characters that are just involved in crime and you can never tell who's the good guy or the bad guy. And that ambiguity leads to an ending that is satisfying but also kind of leaves you feeling depressed which is what i think makes this movie work really really well and it's kind of the thing that you wouldn't expect out of a movie made in you know the 2000s it's probably something you would expect to see in like the 50s or the 60s doing like a noir style film where things are ambiguous in the end um we're like like a chinatown kind of ending Mm -hmm. um and so i i really really love this movie and i think it's probably one of the best like crime noir movies you can ever see um and the fact that it's a remake of internal affairs is bizarre to me i don't know if you guys ever saw the hong kong film but um because i didn't but i know that it's a remake um but scorsese does a fantastic job adapting it to like an american audience and making it super work so um yeah that's that's my take on it at least and it it shreds boston it shreds Boston in the best way possible. Oh, that's what it is, Boston. Sorry, I, I said New yeah. York, New Jersey. No, no, Boston. I knew yeah. what you meant, but it does have the like New York, New Jersey crime vibes. But it shreds Boston, like it is. It is does to Boston what it deserves to have done to it. And yeah. Kevin's saying that and three quarters of this panel either has lived well yeah. actually, yeah, previously lived in Boston, so we can say that, you guys. Yes. Um, so- <laughs> Kevin, you're still staying with The Departed? Oh, yes. It's a a great, great win. And Carissa? Yes. Okay. So with that, we will advance The Departed to round two. Next, I was again the lone standout who preferred six seed Gone with the Wind to three seed West Side Story. I will explain why. As God is my witness, I will never (laughs) go hungry again. And Kevin will explain why when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. So, um, Kevin, why don't you go first? Okay. Um, I think for me, um, I actually just watched West Side Story right before we recorded. Um, and I 
had seen it many times. I actually think it's one of the best musicals ever made. Um, I think it is incredible. The choreography is some of the best I've ever seen. Jerome Robbins' work is, it's, it's studied, it's taught. It is shown across in like numerous dance programs across the country. And I'm sure folks study this film to be practiced. And, it, you know, the, the songs in it aren't, I think it's one of those things where I said it was the best musical of all time, but it's it's mostly known for its dancing because the songs are good. They're not the best. There's some really memorable memorable ones like um, I Feel Pretty and like people talk about that. But like it is obviously that tonight tonight. I mean, yeah, tonight tonight, tonight's amazing. (laughs) Tonight tonight is amazing. And it is one of those like really beautiful, tragic love stories. It's Romeo and Juliet. It's all of that. It is so well done and it. Um, I'll even just say this. I think that opening crane shot over New York is absolutely one of the best opening shots to a film. You get the lay of the land of where you are and what you're going into as you're delving into this story. Um, And it starts big and it becomes so personal. And I think this film, it's heartbreaking, honestly. It's really it's really sad because it's still a story that is resonant today. I will say it obviously does have problems like George Chirakis who played um, my God, I'm blanking on his name and that's fine. But the lead, the lead shark um, was Greek. He wasn't Puerto Rican. And I think you have the represent a little bit of the representation problem there. Um, They're remaking West side story, or it was supposed to come out this year with, uh, Hispanic and Latinx cast, and that's great. Um, I don't trust it in the hands of Spielberg personally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Spielberg's directing it. Yeah, Ooh. that's just me. And I like and I like Spielberg. I like him, but I don't think that solves the problem. And but I, I think this movie is outside of its problem with racial representation and its cast, which is a big problem. It is like, obviously you do have Rita Moreno in there. Who's fantastic. Sure. She is one of the best supporting actress wins of all time. She's incredible. And she is like the heart of the movie. It's just a really, really great win. And it's so the dancing, I can't say enough. The dancing is so incredible. I mean, how many movies have like recreated the snap fingers, like walk at you kind of thing? Absolutely. Yes. The gap ads, the gap ads that that spawned. My God. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Just the gap ads alone. No, I mean, and, and that's the thing. This was a tough ba- matchup. Where it is a tough matchup. I, I can't believe that these two are in round one up against each other. Um, but I'll speak on, on Gone with the Wind. So again, we'll touch on something that we've already talked about. This movie from 2020 perspective is problematic as fuck. And I'm not going to sit here and say, woo, go this kind of antebellum bullshit patriotism, not at all. But if we're going back to those three things that I was looking at, which are film craft, ambition, and saying something about the human condition, I don't know how Gone with the Wind cannot be a part of the discussion. Um, I watched Gone with the Wind probably a decade or so ago. And at that point, obviously, it's talked up and talked up. And, oh, it's legendary and all these things. And usually when I see movies like that, which had, had tip, The Godfather falls into this next category. I'm like, meh, not Gone with the Wind. <laughs> Gone with the Wind to me 100% lives up to the hype. It is, I mean, it is the longest movie, I think, that we have on the bracket. Is that correct? Because that what you told me, Carissa? I think so. 
I think it's yeah. 11 minutes longer than um, Lawrence, uh, Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it is a haul. And it is the the back half of the movie has a lot of problems with it in terms of its structure and its pacing and everything else. But it is stunning in its achievement, especially I believe this is 1939. Is that correct? It is. Mm-hmm. 1930 fucking nine yeah. they created this movie that is incredible and obviously again i'm i'm not supportive of the way that they portray african-americans in this movie it's really bad i'm not supportive of the south will rise again stuff uh scarlett o'hara is a really kind of it's hard to root for her in a lot of ways <laughs> but at the same time from a film crap perspective it is a staggering work, especially given that it is just shy of 100 years old at this point. And yep. for that reason, I couldn't not talk about it because it is like that movie does not look like it's almost 100 years old. That movie, right. I mean, it's it looks old. It looks dated, but it is it is still an incredible when you also think how long that the film industry had existed at the time when it was made. The fact that it looks as good as it does is really a miracle. Um, and if you want to talk about iconic, how many different scenes has gone with the wind been ripped off and over and over again now all that said i get why we're not moving it forward but i had to say my piece so is anybody changing their vote from west side story to gone with the wind carissa no mike no I'm at peace with this. Okay, so we're moving <laughs> along West Side Story. In a battle of macho 70s bullshit, another three-to-one vote had two-seed The Godfather advancing over 70-seed Rocky. Kevin, why did Rocky knock you out? Did I pick Rocky? You did. I did? <gasps> I didn't. You did. No, you did. Mike, Mike picked Mike Rocky. Did. I, Mike I was going to say, Rocky. I picked Rocky. Yeah, I was like, oh, Mike um, picked Rocky. I mean, I can tell you why I picked <laughs> Rocky. you done it, Mike. Tell me. So, so Rocky to me is the most straightforward movie ever made. It is there there's nothing complicated about it. There's nothing complex that makes you really think too much. Um and to me that that actually makes it a really good movie. Like I, I think it's it's the story of like the most underdog underdog winning the day. Um even though he doesn't Right. Um, and it's 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 written by Sylvester Stallone, starred starred by Sylvester Stallone. And it's it really is just the most basic movie that shows that you can tell a very strong emotional story with just a handful of simple hero's journey beats. Right. And we you know, we talked about Star Wars not winning before, like Rocky pretty much follows the same pattern of hero's journey that Star Wars does. And I think that that's what makes this movie work for me. Right. It's just a guy who's going against all the odds to try to win something that's impossible. Um, and you get to see him just get the shit kicked out of him and still come out feeling like a success um i i don't know i love it for that reason it's such an inspiring film i mean and especially if you go and you watch maybe rocky 2 and then you watch like creed right creed follows the exact same story as rocky but it's still a solid movie and i don't want to talk anymore about creed because that movie's fucking fantastic but i think you wouldn't have creed without rocky and rocky is stupendous for that same reason right it's just a simple story about a guy who's just trying really hard and that again that's what makes it work and i think for the time in the 70s probably going up against a bunch of other movies that you know we're talking about gone with the wind coming out in 1939 and we look at all the other movies that come came out like all about eve or if we're talking about 
you know, Lawrence of Arabia, things like that, where there's just these grand, huge things. I think what's interesting about the 70s, is you see some movies really try to slim down like what the content of the film is to try to just get to a simple story. And Rocky does that immaculately. Um, and that's why I think it wins over Godfather, which is a fantastic film. I, I will not argue with that, but I think that it is overly complex for what it's trying to show and i realize it's trying to be slow and talk about the mafia and you know they massacred my boy you know i all that kind of stuff um uh, or you know you get, uh what's his name with the big gauze in his mouth so he looks like a walrus um, yeah and so like i i don't know if i had to go head to head i have to pick rocky every time because i think it's the more entertaining film where Godfather is great, has fantastic moments. It is a it is an achievement of a movie, but I don't think it's as like solid of a film from beginning to end like Rocky is. So, uh, Chris, I'm going to throw it to you in a second of this, but I will say this to Mike. Um, I when first I was like, someone picked Rocky over Godfather, and sorry, Kevin, I, I apologize to everyone listening to the podcast. I was putting together the script when I was very tired. Um, but um, no, you're fine. What I was like, not Rocky over Godfather, really? But Mike, you did a wonderful job explaining its merits, which is yeah. <laughs> it is a simple story that doesn't get fussy. It tells a story that's very resonant and it does it extremely well. Sometimes that's all you need, a simple thing done well. So thank you. That was a really great way of looking at that. I'm going to turn it to Carissa, pledge your allegiance to the Godfather. <laughs> so I agree with a lot of what Mike said about Rocky, except that it being better than the Godfather. Um, <laughs> so I've seen almost all the movies on this bracket. There's a very small few. I haven't. Most of the movies I've seen multiple times. Godfather, I don't even know how many times I've seen this. I watch it every year on the 4th of July. It's like oh, wow. the most American thing that we do can do because it is a very American story. It's a story of an immigrant family that comes to America and makes their way. Well, I mean, they make their way by like doing really illegal shit. Is that the American dream? I don't Yeah, well, that's not the So part of my problem with talking about The Godfather is that I always watch one and two. So two gives us more of the backstory and I don't want to get into that because that's on the other half of the bracket. Yeah. Um but Godfather one, like so the basic basic story of this one is the transfer of power from the aging patriarch to the next generation and who's going to be the right person of that next generation right and so this movie just bookends itself perfectly like it mm -hmm. opens with the wedding right that so you get the you learn so much about the family just from this opening sequence um They've got everyone. This is when you find out that, like, when you when you ask the Don a favor on his daughter's wedding day, he can't refuse you, right? So this sets up a lot of further conflict in the film. You see a lot of the family dynamics. For it, Sonny's banging one of the bridesmaids, and you know Michael brings Kay, Diane Keaton, again, lovely in this in these films. Um, this is her first time like meeting the family. And this is when he says like, this is my family. Kay, this isn't me. Meanwhile, look at the end of the film. We're, we're cross. -cut. It's got that beautiful, beautiful cross cut sequence of the baptism and the uh, revenge sequences, right? Mm -hmm. Like just mm -hmm. eliminating all of the opposition. And so you've got like this, this Italian family coming together at the same time that, you know, while they have this alibi in the sun, all this other stuff is happening to ensure their longevity. And, and, you know, the, the closing shot of the film is Michael, you know, 
in the office, like having taken the seat that his father occupies in the beginning. And it just, everything about it is just stunning. So. Uh, All right. So here's the thing. And we will get into this in subsequent rounds because I'm pretty sure that the Godfather is advancing. I am not yeah. a fan of this movie, but you just did a really great job explaining to me why I'm wrong, Krissa. <laughs> you're thing so that, wrong. Well, you that know, I love about you is you are so good at explaining things that I would automatically like reject and and just like, uh-uh, white bread, like, pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say, Mike? I, I forgot about the baptism scene. I forgot oh, how powerful so that back it's and forth so is in the good. movie. Yeah, it's no, so good. That is that's totally. I I I know Eric, you haven't asked it yet, but I got to switch my vote. I think I got to switch my vote <laughs> yeah. to Godfather. Right. I yeah. forgot right. how incredible the last few bits of that movie are. There is a m- bit in the middle that is just kind of like, what the fuck is happening? And then it actually gets to the end. So like, but I forgot. Like, oh man, that last part is is, is like stuck in my mind. I can't believe I didn't think of it. I mean, you. That's the there's a few films on here that you study in film school right sure, and like sure. that like that sequence is one of the things that you study I so it. and yeah. i say this as someone who minored in film 20 years ago at a state university <laughs> so it's I not like i went to film school but didn't know I, we had a professional in the room <laughs> well i think we're going to be talking about the godfather a lot more on this so i will sure. then it I sounds agree. like we're unanimous victory to move yeah. godfather onto round one around two yeah. yep yep I, I, yay. Right. The thing with rocky not moving for i didn't pick rocky because it's not even the best movie that came out that year like i like it's a good movie but it's like you're going up against network uh uh, all the mm-hmm. president's men and taxi driver and you go with rocky sure okay mm-hmm. yeah that is yeah, a surprise taxi driver. Yeah. yeah the taxi driver yeah didn't win that year you know but. hindsight in 2020 right yeah, don't exactly worry right. we eventually got the joker so it's all fine <laughs> <laughs> well with that i think i see a horse head in my bed so we're gonna take this opportunity to, for a quick break and we will be right back Hey Mike, you know I've been working the polls lately. Oh yes, I've uh, I've seen that outfit that you've got. It's quite something. Yeah, I mean not those types of polls, although I'm working those too. But I'm talking about the polls that you can find at GreatPopCultureDebate.com. Do oh. you know? We put up polls for every episode we do. We we get our listeners' input. They actually determine what makes the final brackets that we debate. I know it's it's fantastic. Like best Animal Crossing character, best two thousand sitcom. I mean, for all the you know the stuff that we did for this episode, even even just you know best picture, best best picture. It's fantastic. So much, so much content. Speaking of content, if you go to patreon.com backslash great pop culture debate, you get even more content if you're a subscriber, even at the two dollar a month level. What are some of your favorite things that we offer, Mike? I mean. Early access to the episodes is probably my favorite thing. I mean, being able to jump on and make my own, you know, bracket for the episodes that I'm listening to and kind of slowly listen to the episodes as they come out, having that extra day or getting early access just in general is probably the coolest perk that you can get. You can get access to those episodes before anybody else and know what the outcome is going to be. So if you are a jerk and you want to spoil it or you're just, you know, the type of person that needs to get everything, it's it's all there. And it's like two bucks a month to get that. Or if you're at five bucks or more, you can get access to the season zero stuff that we did, which is like best access. Men, best Madonna single, best drag race lip sync. It's it's amazing stuff. 
Yeah, and there's so much exclusive content on that Patreon. I, I'm actually kind of amazed. I I make it all, and I'm amazed at how much is on. <laughs> I know, and, and we've got so much planned for the future. I'm very excited once we start dropping merch and all this other stuff. It's going to go on the Patreon first, so make sure you get on that. Exactly. If you have a second, thank you for already subscribing to our Patreons. If you haven't, please head over to patreon.com backslash great pop culture debate and uh, give us a subscription. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. And we're back to discuss round one of the best best picture winner ever. Next up, it's Nazis versus pedos, and three quarters of us <laughs> preferred four seed American Beauty to five seed The Sound of Music. Kevin, why are you climbing this particular mountain? Um, American Beauty is a bad movie. Sorry, folks. It's just not good. <laughs> I watched it recently, and the I'm gonna I'll talk about Sound of Music first, and then I'll fight with you all on American Beauty. Um, Sound of Music is, it's another Robert Wise musical. So Robert Wise, who directed West Side Story. Um, Carissa, just like you watch The Godfather every 4th of July, uh, The Sound of Music was a staple Easter watch for me every year. Rightfully so. Um, How do you solve a problem like Maria? I mean... Julie Andrews is incredible in the role. Christopher Christopher Plummer is a babe. And his Captain Von Trapp is just, it's incredible. I mean, melting that stoic man's heart is just like everything you want to see. And then, I don't know. I love like, I love watch, I love a good love story. I think Oscars, when they, when they actually pick a love story like this, they do typically sometimes go, it's, this is a little bloated, the movie, for sure. It's not a perfect yeah. best picture winner by any means. But between these two, my God, I'd rather spend three and a half hours watching a, a delightful musical about a, a, a nun leaving a convent and falling in love with a man and singing doe a deer than watching Kevin Spacey oogle a high school girl. Like, I don't know. We thought American Beauty was edgy in 1999. It's like not even a top 50 movie from that year. It just isn't. It's really bad. It's awkward. And like, there's nothing revelatory about it outside of Annette Benning, who's incredible in it. I will give Annette it Annette Benning is incredible in that movie. Annette She's Benning amazing. is incredible in mm-hmm. American Beauty. But... I think for me, the people still watch Sound of Music and they're like, oh, such a really lovely, delightful film. No one says that about American Beauty anymore. In fact, it's it's record as a film has gone down in years and people talk about all the other fantastic 1999 films, The Matrix, Fight Club, Talented Mr. Ripley, um, Being John Malkovich, Election, um... I could go on and on forever, baby. I All like, right. <laughs> there are so many other amazing movies. And, you know, Sound of Music is just, it's special. It's a really special, lovely film. Is it incredible? No. But is it better than American Beauty? Absolutely. 
All right. Well, Mike, I want to ask you to shower some rose petals on American Beauty. So go for it. Yeah. So, you know, Kevin, I think I agree with you that like this is by far probably not the best movie of 1999. But that being said, I think it's a, a perfect encapsulation of where people's minds were in 1999. Uncertainty about like homosexuality and like suburbs and like this thing where it seemed like teenagers were kind of really breaking free beyond their parents more so than they had ever before. Um, I, I, I the thing that gets me about this movie is so as how how raw and edgy it is. Um, and I don't think that that necessarily means that it's good, but it definitely like scratches you in a weird way that makes you feel uncomfortable. And I think that's the strength of the film. Like it's trying to make you uncomfortable. I mean, Kevin Spacey aside, right? I think we, we have to kind of that that is definitely on the table. It's the elephant in the room like garbage person. Right. We, we, we can acknowledge that. But I think right. that being said. Like his his performance in the movie is so disturbing, um, yeah. And I th- and I think that's what makes it a strong film because of how like gross it makes you feel on the whole. Like every piece of the movie is imperfect f- for that reason, um, but I think it's all intentional. Like I don't think they went out at this to be like, yeah, we're gonna tell this story about a man who's kind of realizing that he's got a whole fucking problem with his life. Uh, no, I think it's it's definitely like this is a skeezy guy and he's 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 having a midlife crisis which is causing her to do all these different things it kind of reminds me of that michael douglas film where he kind of walks around la and just kills people falling down yeah and i i don't think that they're the same movie but i think it's that kind of feeling like the, the protagonist is definitely not someone to be looked up to um and the whole movie is supposed to make you feel down there's like an era of film that yeah. came out like this and i think american beauty fits right in the middle of it of this like late 90s early 2000 um things are going to make you feel bad because we have the capability to do that now and people will respect us for that it's- and that's that to me is why this movie works whereas sound of music is like the exact opposite or everything's very positive and, and up, up and coming or very exciting but the movie's just too long and i get it it's a it's a wonderful musical but i don't know if that makes it a great film um here's what i'm gonna say to you there's a really great best picture winner about suburban ennui it's called ordinary people and it didn't make this list sure sure that is the better movie than Amer- if you're gonna talk about suburban ennui then Ordinary People is that movie. Like, she's that girl. It is that. American Beauty doesn't feel... I mean, even in that time, it totally felt edgy. But I don't know that that edge lasted more than a year or two. Because- I don't know about that. I, like, I will disagree with you on that. And, and I Kevin, I will point out... And that's fine. Um, and I don't want to make, I want to make sure I'm not going to spend too much time on this, unfortunately, but I will say this, that you are correct. The ordinary people is American beauty, but done like 20 years before it. But I don't think America was ready for, for that story yet. I think America mm-hmm. was still living in this kind of cocoon of self-imposed um, ignorance about what was going on. Sure. And they got it in, in American beauty. Is it a great film? I don't know. At the time it was a great film. I really do think at the time we were all like, oh, this is really special. I think its impact lasted longer than a year. I think that Mike is correct that American Beauty did create almost an entire subgenre of the um, emotionally fucked up white suburbanite really acknowledging how emotionally fucked up white suburbanites are. But did we need that movie? Like that's- But you you named Fight Club as another movie that was better. And like, did we need Fight Club? Because that's just toxic masculinity from beginning to end trying to disguise itself as irony. Like At its absurdest though. Like that is is the difference. Like, I think that's the thing. I think 
American Beauty is very literal in the way it portrays things. It's very, very on the nose. True. And as someone who has watched it like within the last week, it is. I, I, I we're going to talk about this when we get to Parasite in 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 many ways, but it is a movie that we don't know the history of Parasite. We know sure. where American Beauty lasted, and its legacy isn't a good one. It's just not. It's not a well. It's not a well liked, not a well made film. Yeah, but nobody has talked about how American Beauty has the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. That floating plastic bag <laughs> that became oh, so terrible. But it but it became a cultural moment. Same it with totally the rose did. petals. It like, totally did. And if you are not a drag race person, if you haven't seen the Sasha Valor rose petals, when you see them, you still think about this movie. Should I you think- though? Well, here's it doesn't thing. matter because it, because it, you do like that's how strong it I, is. I personally do not. I, I think I will, so Kevin, I will I let think... it go. I will let it go. I think okay. y'all are in a bad movie, a really bad movie. That's fine. But... And one of the things I love about you, Kevin, is that you stick to your guns and you are going to. I love that about you. And it's why I'm so glad, you, especially because you know so much about film. We are going to I think unless Carissa or Mike are going to change their votes here. I think we are advancing American Beauty. Correct. Move it up. Move it forward. So we're going to continue to debate this, and I and you stick to your guns, Kevin. You continue sure to say how shitty it is. Sure um, but I want to. <laughs> I want to make sure that we continue to move on. Um, Carissa, I know I know you were trying to say something. Was that what you were trying to inject? That yes, point? it was. Okay, yes. So, <laughs> um, so three quarters of our panel preferred the dazzling, deadly dames of Six Seed Chicago to the epic fantasy denouement of Three Seed Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. I might be accused of Tolkienism, but Carissa, ah! I'm going to give you a chance of giving Chicago the old razzle dazzle first. I did, uh, Big thumbs down for the Tolkienism. Okay. Um, So Chicago, uh, I think like Kevin mentioned earlier, this is one of the few films that has not just like a female lead, but like almost all of the characters are females. Um, And they're all, all of their storylines are kind of equally valid. You, you, you get, I guess the Roxy Hart one has a little more, but there's so many interesting female characters here. And it's just like, it's fun. I'm not a huge musical fan. I don't hate them either. I kind of, you know, take or leave it. But this one I rewatched recently and I still keep like thinking, you know, I keep waking up with razzle dazzle in my head because it's just, it's so catchy and it's so fun and it moves along at such a clip and the, the wardrobes are gorgeous and the, Dancing is kind of like an homage, but a little bit fresh and well for the time. And it just like every role is great. Even these little side roles like Queen Latifah um, is so good in this movie. And so it's just like it's refreshing to see with a lot of somber dramas and horror films and things that are really focused on the male experience to see kind of this uh, cynical, upbeat um female fronted film yeah and here's the thing folks i'm not gonna fight this one very hard uh people who know me know that i fucking love chicago it's one of my top films of all time and uh true story when this was coming out i threw an actual temper tantrum on the charlottesville downtown mall (laughs) because i went to buy a ticket and it was sold out and i literally was stomping my feet and screaming i want to see it no 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 (laughs) um 
That's Eric, how much I love Chicago. Could you do a live reenactment of that for us sometime? <laughs> I please. can. I can. I can we post it for the, the Patreon? Yeah. Yeah, $25 yes. a month support. You'll get a video of this recreation. Exactly. Someone will have to be the stand-in for my lesbian roommate at the time looking at me with just utter disapproval. Um, but um, shouldn't be hard to find. Nope, we can do that. Um, here's the thing. I, I put forward Lord of the Rings here because, again, I have the three things I'm looking at, which is ambition Side. and... size matters (laughs) listen uh and um craft and lord of the rings says absolutely nothing about the human condition i mean i guess you could argue that it does but eh. um i think it is really an achievement and i do think that this one won not for this movie but for the Mm. series as a whole yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and i think when we're talking about fantasy series number one they tend to not be recognized by the oscars uh so i thought it refreshing that this was on our top 32 i think that of the three it's probably the weakest um uh Two Towers, I would say, is the weakest for me. Oh, see, I oh, love Two Towers. It's get, my favorite. I don't want to do this right now. This is a different <laughs> podcast. <laughs> That's fine. Um, but I do think the scope and the level of uh, execution that Jackson brought to these movies has to be recognized. Yeah. And so that is why I gave it my pick here. I have no qualms with advancing Chicago. I love Chicago. Um, but I did want to speak on it. And I do think we need to do a separate podcast about fantasy epics, etc. Oh, yeah. I do think there's so much meat in the Lord of the Rings movies. It's why also why I was so disappointed by the Hobbit trilogy. We, again, yes. different podcast. But um, we're going to advance Chicago because I'm assuming I did not convince anyone to change their votes. No. Um, no. Next, that's fine. Next, we were evenly split between Six Seed, The Apartment, and Three Seed, The Godfather Part Two. Carissa, why are you still married to the mob? Uh, so my main... Um, argument that I'm always having with myself is which Godfather is better, one or two? Because two, you really get the backstory and the meat of the immigrant experience. And we get Robert De Niro as young Marlon Brando. And so you get the Vito Corleone uh, story. You understand more of how he came to his role in New York. Um, But Godfather 2 is really a story of where one was about the transfer of power, two is about revenge and vengeance. And um, it's just really satisfying. You know, like it's really hard in the beginning, but then like once Vito comes to power and like he overthrows the bully of the neighborhood and it starts actually supporting the, you know, like his main thing as when he's like coming up in New York and, um, is that there's that bully guy, uh, taking money, who's Italian, taking money from Italian businesses and, and not doing shit, you know? And he's like, why is he exploiting the very community that he's claiming to be protecting? This is not cool. And he does something about it. Like, that's, that's fucking awesome. Like, how, I don't know. I just, I just really love these movies and I just think that they stand up and I just, I, I, it's a saga and it's American, you know, like it just, it tells our story so much. I love how much you love the Godfather movies. I, I like, mm-hmm. I, I still don't like them, but I love how much you love them. Kevin, why are you shacking up with the apartment? I think um, the apartment is actually for some, the sixties were a really interesting time in Oscar history. And it was a decade that was really trying to reckon with itself Um, around what type of films they were recognizing. And I think at the time, The Apartment was an incredibly progressive film about toxic masculinity. 
and this system of like mad men like guys who were unfortunately using women to like be objects of their desire. And that's exactly what Shirley MacLaine represents in this film. Um, I, if this doesn't move forward or we don't get to talk about this, I do want to say that Shirley MacLaine's performance in the apartment is one of my favorite female performances of all time. I think she is so sweet, so funny, so incredible. She is like the heart and soul of this film. And I get not liking it because the, the other lens is like, these guys are all awful human beings. They're all really bad. And it's in a way is something that you may not want to laugh at today. Um, it's a movie though, that I've watched for a really long time. And it, it represents, so you have Jack Lemon who works as kind of like a mid ish level guy at a company and he's just really trying to make a name of himself with them and he's a little schlubby in the beginning like he's that guy who you're like he's never going to advance like that's just never going to be him and the only way he can potentially do this is by giving his apartment out to his boss to have an affair with Shirley MacLaine's character so he compromises himself and perpetuates this cycle of problematic activity with male executives in, in, in business. And and like, there's a lot of problems, but I think what, what Billy Wilder does in this movie is so smart and so ahead of its time in many ways, or I guess maybe more progressive than it would have been at that time shows the problematic nature. It's kind of the way I view Scorsese movies today. A lot of people are like, Oh, I don't like the Wolf of wall street because it doesn't it's, it lets these guys off. And when in fact, that's not what it does. Both films really are critical of these types of experiences. And I think the apartment's also incredibly funny. It's also one of those rare for me, it's very funny. It's one of those rare comedies to win Best Picture. And I think we we are moving forward a lot of very heavy films. And this is one of the, those special films that um, has a strong female lead, is funny, and is critical in many ways of toxic masculinity. So um, I, I know that Carissa has really strong feelings about this movie. and I'm going to let her do a response. But before I say that, uh, I let, before I do that, let me just say that I also moved this one forward because – it was a comedy, which I thought was refreshing in this bracket. And I liked the, I, I wanted to give some diversity of different types of films. Um, but also I just personally don't like the Godfather movies. And I realized that's not a very good reason for me to. It's dismiss. not a bad reason. <laughs> um, it's, it's not a, a valid reason for me to dismiss. Again, if I'm looking at craft, ambition and saying something, I feel like I would be ignoring my own rubric by uh, well, throwing that out the window because I don't like the Godfather movies, which we'll get to more in round two. But um, I yeah, do want to just to- add one. Can I add one thing to that, though? I think sometimes sure. we neglect the smaller films that have won Best Picture in like scope and what their impact can be. So like, let's not like, just because something's bigger doesn't mean it's always better. Agree. And I think we will get to that in very short order with some of our films in round two. Um, But I do want to give Carissa an opportunity to respond because I know you have very strong feelings about the apartment. Yeah, I've been biting my tongue because uh, this movie I watched in this past week, having not seen it, and it was one of the ones on the bracket I wanted to see, um, 
it is it is my most hated film on this entire bracket and i think birdman sucks so um yeah i just it's comedy where it's not funny um every character in this just acts to like uphold the like the patriarchy and the status quo and the system of oppression that's holding them down and like oh jack lemon grows a spine but it's like way too little way too late they hand shirley mclean back and forth like she has no agency and it's just like it's ro- it's a romantic comedy through um gaslighting and emotional manipulation i think it's trash sounds like so. my dating life um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I i see your point i definitely see your point i think i think but it is it is a window it is a hypercritical window into the world of men at that time like i don't think wilder is propping them up personally i don't I, think it's critical enough though i really don't i don't feel like i did not get that vibe it's also 1960 so like if we're gonna like not give something like if we're gonna give a woody allen movie in paris or like american beauty which was like 1999 it was 1960 and like that's what the system was like back then not a good thing but like yeah but I, i'm saying like i don't think it's funny i don't think it's romantic at all sure sure interesting yeah. Uh, okay. So this has been a great debate. It's almost like that's the name of our podcast. <laughs> what? Um, mm-hmm. But I do want to put. So, Mike, where are you coming down on this one? I mean, I I've only seen The Godfather. I didn't have any interest in watching The Apartment after hearing some preview words from Carissa. So I I'm voting for The Godfather. Okay, Thank you. And- I had voted for the apartment, but I do think I am going to change my vote to Godfather Part. Totally two. fair. Totally a good. Um, Thank you. But I do want to thank Kevin for doing a great job of talking up the apartment. I I understand completely where Chris is coming from. I do too. I also want to fully admit that like, I don't, I don't like Billy Wilder comedies. Like I'm pretty hit or miss with him. I recognize that he's like a huge part of the canon and, you know, he's done a lot of films that have a lot of lasting power, but I like, I never liked some like it hot. I think it's just like, it's problematic. But even when I saw it as a teen, I didn't think it was funny. So like, he's just not my jam. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, I think you are speaking to something that is important and I'm glad Honestly, The Godfather 2 is a great... They're both great movies, in my opinion. So, rightful that either move forward. Yeah. And I uh, thank you both for doing such a great job on discussing both of them. I, th- I think this was really awesome. Um, we're going to move on. We're going to advance Godfather Part 2. And we're moving on. Three quarters of us preferred four seed, 12 years a slave, to five seed, Forrest Gump. Mike, life really is like oh. a box of chocolates. And <laughs> some of them are just unexpectedly Mike. shitty. So, explain <laughs> why you want Forrest to run, Forrest, run. So yeah, I, I, I've only, uh, so I've never seen 12 Years a Slave. Uh, if only, uh, not at least not in completion. I've seen like the first 40 minutes of it and I just, it was just brutal. And I couldn't put myself through that. I think that's like a two and a half hour film. It is. Um, and I just, I don't know, something about like just watching people as slaves yeah. not get treated like human. Like I can only do that for so long. And it, like, it's I, I don't know I, that's probably just like the bad film viewer in me or whatever that I can't put myself through this kind of stuff but like man it is just traumatizing and like Forrest Gump I mean has its its own problems right it's essentially just like who remembers back when the days were good because that's that's what Forrest Gump is um, but to me I think it's like it's a great like snapshot of like a slightly optimistic view of what the what like 50s 60s 70s and 80s were um, 
I, I realize that they 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 really gloss over like the AIDS epidemic. They really gloss over um, the fucking Vietnam War. They really gloss over a whole lot of stuff, like even civil rights movement and stuff. But um, I think it, it it really tries to portray like just like the, those decades as as encapsulating as possible like a like a vh1 i love the 50s 60s 70s and 80s kind sure. of um i don't know if that makes it a great film but i do think it's it's a it's an enjoyable film to watch for being so long right because i think forrest gump is as long as 12 years a slave but um i i don't know like 12 years a slave just i couldn't i couldn't put myself through it so i i put for push forrest gump forward so I'm going to um, talk about Slave here, and I hear what you're saying on that because I had avoided the film because I was like, man, do I really want to watch that? Um, and just sidebar, like doing the homework, I had not seen at least half of the films on this bracket. So the past two weeks have been a lot of films. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for all and, of us, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And like it was mostly really heavy, depressing <laughs> shit that made me yeah. want to take the fucking gas pipe. But – we watched 12 Years a Slave, I want to say two nights ago, and um, I, it was revelatory to me. This film, I, sidebar, I have going all the way to the end, and I know it's not going to get there. It's I understand not. that. <laughs> and, I, okay, and, I, and I get that. But um, so you were talking about how upsetting it was and how um, – what's the word you were looking – you were using there for, for like the viewer's experience? Traumatizing? Mm. Yeah. Like, it is traumatic. But more than that, for me, it was rage-inducing because um, uh, this movie evoked such an incredible swelling of emotion from me sure. that um, it was uh, – powerful is an understatement. Let me just take a, a sidestep for a second. It is an incredibly well-crafted movie. It is well-written. It is well-acted. It is well-directed. It is mm -hmm. beautiful. It uh, In terms of the storytelling, I couldn't find a flaw in it if I tried. Um I think the actors are incredible and it has a really an all-star cast. I, like someone else would come out on the screen and you're like, oh shit, I didn't realize that person was in that movie. And some of them are doing performances that are really ballsy. Sarah Paulson in that movie. I was mm -hmm. like, damn, I can't believe she signed on for this role, which is horrible. Same mm -hmm. thing with um, Fassbender. Like they are fucking horrible. Yeah. But all of that aside, Back in our Netflix one, Carissa made the point when I was talking about how I left off of watching Orange is the New Black because it got too depressing and it was really difficult. And she said to me, well, that's the fucking point. And yeah. I was like, yeah. yeah, that's the fucking point of 12 Years a Slave. Um, I remember we finished watching it, my, um, my boyfriend and I, and I was like, this country is a lie. Everything that we are taught about this country is a lie. And yeah. one of the things that I keep coming to, and I know I'm going to lose this match. And I, I mean, I'll, I'll win this matchup, but I'll lose it in later ones. So I want to say it now is um, in 2020, which is when we're recording this. Um, I keep finding myself having these questions like, where is the empathy of these people like who are doing the things that they're doing? And in watching 12 Years a Slave, it was a, a penny drop moment. I was like, oh, they never had it. They weren't built to have that. They don't believe in that. And, mm -hmm. and they don't look at other people who are different from them as actual people. And that is really what this comes down to. To me, it is such a brutal condemnation of not only the, the slavery in America, but America as an institution. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, I think it is an incredible film. And I'm, I believe that it should go farther than I think it's going to in this bracket. But I, I will stand 12 Years a Slave. It, it I'll, I'll argue with you on that later, but I agree. That's in this fine. Moment. That's fine. So, Mike, are you going to stick with Forrest Gump? I mean, yeah, I'm going to stick with Forrest Gump, but I have no problems with, you know, 12 years of sleep going forward. I'm not going to argue uh, it anymore. 
That's fine. All right. So I'm sorry if I went off on there for a little while. No, no, <laughs> you're totally, totally right, too. Um, okay, so we're moving that one ahead. And finally, for uh, round one, three quarters of us preferred two seed No Country for Old Men, while Mike preferred seven seed Slumdog Millionaire. Mike, what was your reasoning there? So No Country for Old Men is a fantastic film. I, I just want to say that. I, I love it from beginning to end, but I think Slumdog is is overall like the better movie in compared to, comparatively um because it is it's it, it's a suspenseful film that keeps you on the edge of your seat it has such a like deus ex machina overwhelming feeling like it's if only this and th- everything fell into place for this kid it makes it so uh, like satisfying to watch uh no country old men is is very disturbing it makes you it makes you feel unsettled it's coen brothers <clears throat> really doing something super dark um but i think slumdog is just is the better film for for putting you in this very suspenseful place and keeping like the story moving forward and the action moving forward there are no moments of lull um everything is constantly building on top of itself whereas no country for old men just like a lot of cohen films is just like hey what if something out of left field happened and then you're like oh this totally changes everything that makes it entertaining um and i like the cohen brothers for that because they do it really well they make all of their sudden random surprises and very grotesque things that happen in an instant that seem really real um they, they do it really really well but comparatively i i like the way that slumdog is, is built as a story um because No Country for Old Men is a really, really, really long movie um, that could have been 35 minutes shorter, in my opinion. Oh, I disagree. All right. Well, Kevin, why are you relentless in your pursuit of No Country for Old Men? No Country for Old Men is actually one of them. I personally think it's, uh, it is one of the few recent Best Picture winners that's absolutely exceptional. Um, I think that... The Coen brothers do obviously have a style, but their style kind of transcends a lot of different elements and genres. And I think no film captures the George W. Bush era better than No Country for Old Men. Who, sure. who is the villain? Who is the villain? We don't know. Why is he doing this? We really don't know much about his motives. And like, honestly, it is the most 2000s movie to capture like where we are we're all kind of figuring shit out as we go and we're 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 trying to like doing what josh brolin does we're trying to grasp for the money that we can get when we can get it we're trying to win we're trying to beat either other people out um at a prize or a, a game and there are people that don't have rules the anton chigurh character javier bardem who is violently hunting (laughs) and and it's just so it's so scary it is a legit that hotel sequence where he's on the other side and you're just like what is going to happen what is going to happen and then eventually and i'm going to spoil it because it's a, a what 13 year old movie now that sequence where all of a sudden josh brolin's character is dead and yeah Mm -hmm. that like flip is like utterly brilliant. It's kind of like what The Departed does in a lot of way too, where you're like, wait, I did not expect that. You don't see it. You don't know Mm -hmm. exactly how it happened. It is utterly brilliant. And it's, it's that last speech from Tommy Lee Jones is just, uh, it's so well given and it's such a perfect speech in a film. 
Mike, you wanted to say something there? Yeah, this to me, again, just kind of begs this question of like the Coen brothers, they have a a knack for really kind of throwing things out of like in the left field all the time where it's to the point of, is that good filmmaking or is it lazy oh. writing? Oh, like, no, no, no. no. Mm, yeah. Sorry. Go, Chris. You go, Chris, on this one. Well, I was going to say No Country is, um, I think, the best adaptation of yes. uh, Cormac McCarthy material, which uh, we have. A, he's got a lot of material and it's really hard to adapt. Um, I think The Road is good. I think No Country, this novel reads so fast. And I think the film is so true to the source material. And it's just sure. so genuine. It's just so um, enthralling. And it's so fucking nihilistic. Like, yeah. it's just, like I just, I, I love it. It's so good. Still, I watched it this week <laughs> again. Well, I don't want to go too much into it because this is going to be up for debate, I believe, in round two. Mike, you're sticking with Slumdog Millionaire? Yes. And I'm going to guess, based on Curtis and Kevin there, that they're sticking with No Country. I'm also going with No Country. So it will advance to round two, and we will consider we will continue it, because I also have issues with it, Mike. So we'll talk about sure. that next round. But that is it for part one, folks. We have narrowed the top 32 to a sweet 16. Do you agree with our picks? Do you think that we've blown out our brains thanks to a burst of highly compressed air? Let us know what you think at greatpopculturedebate.com or via Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. While you're at the website, make sure to check out what polls are currently open for your votes then come back later this week for part two some critics claim it's superior to the first part but we don't talk about part three see you soon